from Jordan-Hare Stadium to Auburn Arena. From the Plains to the recruiting trail and all points in between. If it's Auburn, we've got it covered. Did I say War Eagle? Or War Eagle. That's it? War Eagle. This is the Auburn Undercover Podcast with Brandon Marcello. Hello, everyone. Welcome in. And this is a huge podcast. It's our first day with a combination of Inside the Auburn Tigers and Auburn Undercover over at 24-7 Sports. We have a large, large staff, and you guys know who these guys are. Our table today is full. We've got Mark Murphy, Jason Caldwell, Philip Marshall, Keith Niebuhr, and myself, Brandon Marcello, all here on the podcast to discuss all things Auburn. Mark and Jason, first off, looking forward to working with you guys finally and not, you know, being quote-unquote competitors and everything. Um, I think I think this is going to be a great thing as, with as much intel we're providing as people will see on our first day together um, on Tuesday. A lot of stuff going up. Yes, certainly a lot more coverage for everybody. And, uh, you know, both sides have been doing a huge amount of coverage anyway. So folks are going to get double that. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, there's certainly a lot going on at Auburn right now, a busy time. And uh, we're going to try to do a better job than ever. Yeah, Brandon, I, I agree. I think we're we're both looking forward to, to this opportunity and working with you guys and having a chance to uh, to do some different things. I think that's the neat thing about uh, having a staff like this is that we'll now have an opportunity to bring some different things to the readers and, um, you know, in addition to podcasts and those things. So really looking forward to this. Absolutely. I think our coverage um, as a team is going to be unmatched uh, on this Auburn beat. I, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, and when you've got – you got Mark and Philip, who have have been around for a very long time. I don't say old on this podcast, even though Philip oh, well. says old. <laughs> hey, the, the the numbers don't lie, man. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> but uh, you've got the most experienced staff here, and then I've been around the shortest amount of time in six years. It, it's amazing being around these type of people. So. Uh, let's just get into it. Let, let's start talking about what people want to hear about, and that's the basketball program right now. They are on a run, 4-0. Uh, they have three straight wins against Quadrant 1 teams, which, uh, long story short, that's the best wins you can get, according to the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee. And Auburn's moving up the NCAA Tournament's uh, seating. But, man, uh, Saturday, that atmosphere – in Auburn Arena, and the victory against number 5 Tennessee. Auburn wins 84-80, to and they did it the way they've been winning these previous games. They've been playing good defense in spots, and then players just have their moments. How big of a win was that, not only for what we see going forward, guys, in this March, but for the program, you know, next year and beyond? Whoever wants to start, go in, jump in. I'll jump in on this one, you know. Bumped them up to 17 in the net for the NCAA rankings, which is a really big deal for the short short term as far as seedings for the NCAA tournament. And uh, I mean, there's just no downside to you know being on national TV, 
beating the team. It's ranked for fifth and fourth in the country. The team's been talked about as a potential number one seed and uh, just a real good atmosphere, as you mentioned, Brandon. And uh, I think it was a lot of fun. The people who got into the arena really enjoyed it. It was loud. It was what college basketball is supposed to be about. And, uh, you know, if they can follow this up with a good run in the SEC tournament this week and then in the NCAA tournament, you know, the basketball program is going to be in the best shape that it's been in just about forever. You know, it was, uh, you know, the, just standing down down on the floor uh, in the last minute, it was, uh, well, not on the floor, close to the floor. In the last minute, the noise was pretty remarkable how loud it was. And, and that building was built to be loud, which is why it's, it's so much better than, and of course it's better in every way than the old place, but, uh, but it's built for basketball and built to be loud. And it's tough on teams to play there. But the most remarkable thing about Auburn's performance Saturday to me, the one stat that stood out to me more than any other was five turnovers against a team as, as athletic and talented as Tennessee. I thought that was pretty amazing. I agree, Philip. I, you know, something that Brandon mentioned too is is having different people step up, and we've seen it, and it's been at different times in the games. Um, Chuma was was the unquestioned guy Saturday for about 38 minutes of that game. But you look at, at obviously Jared Harper at the end of the game doing what he does, but Samir Dowdy with two huge threes, right. Bryce Brown with his defense. Everybody's kind of doing their thing, and Bruce Pearl said it during the year. This has to be more than Jared Harper and, and Bryce Brown for this team to win, and they're getting more than, than those two guys right now. And how about Javon McCormick driving to the basket and get some hard-earned buckets when the game was so tight there in the second half? Things like that that get overlooked by the bigger moments, but if that happens, it's probably a totally different game. He, he had two really big drives to the basket for them. Yeah, I'll throw in Javon McCormick's play over in Tuscaloosa, too. I mean, he – he made a couple of really key plays and uh, helped him win that road game. And, uh, you know, he's played well at Georgia, too. And the guy's a great athlete. He just is learning to play at the speed of SEC after coming from junior college. And, uh, you know, they, I think they lucked out on him because he wasn't an 11th hour recruit. He was 11.59 on uh, Saturday night. It was about over with the recruiting when they got him on board. You know, we were just talking a couple of weeks ago about how they didn't really have a signature win. Maybe it was had been the Alabama win at home. And now you've got, you know, really three or four of them. I mean, Georgia's not very uh, good in terms of wins and losses, but how they won that game, kind of falling apart, picking it up, winning. That starts this four-game winning streak, stifling Mississippi State's offense in the very next game, going to Alabama, rallying for that win, and then the coup de grace, the, 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 you know, the finishing touches – uh, the big comeback win against Tennessee, you know, what a run over those two weeks, because, you know, who knows what happens to this team if they don't beat Georgia on the road in a game, they very easily could have lost. Things can go in so many different directions at any given time in a season. And, uh, and that shot by Chuma to win that game, it just might be the one we're looking back at uh, when we're all walking with, with uh, Canes and, and walkers, uh, you know, down the road and saying, you know, maybe that was the game that really turned things around for, for the, I don't want to say the program. I mean, obviously, they won the SEC last year, but this season. You know, I think that Chuma, he's always been a really talented and good player. But in the last th three weeks, he's become a great player. And uh, and that makes everybody else better. I mean, you can't you can't send everybody out there to guard the three-point line because he'll kill you. And uh, uh, it's, it's been kind of uh, amazing to watch him, to me, really, because – 
he really has come into his own. And, uh, man, I mean, he, he, those two guys in Tennessee, Schofield and Davis, they had nothing on him last Saturday. Oh, yeah. Jason. Yeah, I mean, just thinking about Chuma, myself and Mark, we, we had an opportunity in high school to watch him play one-on-one against Colin Sexton. And seeing him then is the guy we're seeing now. He's kind of deferred for really almost two full years to, right. to those other guys. But in, as a high school senior in a very high-level basketball game, he took it over. And now we've kind of seen that the last couple of weeks. And against Alabama, we saw him, you know, driving to the basket, dishing for some big shots. He did that again the other day. And it's more than just offense. As Bruce Pearl said, his defense is is lights out. Uh, when they had to have stops on Grant Williams Saturday, Chima was the guy. And and when you have a guy that can do it on both ends of the floor and will let the game come to him, you're right. That makes a team a whole lot better. And not only that, he was – pickpocketing guys and going down the other floor into the floor and fiz- finishing full plays. I mean, you're talking about maybe a four or five point turnaround uh, just in one moment. Uh, the guy, the guy is extremely quick, long arms, and it's incredible how he could play defense against any position. We saw it late in that Alabama game defensively when they put him on a guard and they shut him down and Alabama couldn't even get a shot off. And then against Tennessee, I mean, they were at their best when they put him on Grant Williams and Admiral. I mean, they were just absolutely uh, stunning defensively against that Tennessee team, which was just I – mean, that Tennessee team is so, so good. I mean, you know, Bruce Pearl says it's a Final Four team. I believe it. You just look at them physically and the way they can hit shots all over the floor. I mean, you saw it in the first half, all the jump shots they were making. That, that's a team that can go very far in March. And for Auburn knocking them off is incredible. And moving forward, guys, in the SEC tournament – I, I would venture to say that Auburn's got a very, very good draw. Wouldn't you guys think? Absolutely. Who knows what LSU is going to be like? And uh, I mean, Auburn might lose to Missouri or Georgia. They might lose to South Carolina, but they should beat those teams. And if they do, then they're going to be looking at LSU in the semifinals. Now, maybe LSU is going to be on a mission, or maybe not. Who knows? It's going to be interesting to see it. But, but also. They have no reason to fear LSU. They they feel like they should have won in Baton Rouge. Well, I'll so say I, this too: LSU LSU might have to face Florida before that. And Florida and LSU right. have played very very close games the last two times out. Both of them went to overtime. In fact, so yeah, and Florida's going to be desperate. They've got to do well in the SEC tournament. They're going to get to the NCAA tournament because they didn't have such a strong finish. But you know, I just think Auburn is more prepared to do well in postseason than they were last year at this time. No question. Uh, without a doubt, um, they they missed Macklemore last year. He was their rim protector, and he's not quite at the same level as he was last year because he's not jumping quite as well and he's not quite as physically strong. But he's getting better as the season goes along, and he certainly makes a difference. And then Bryce was limping around with a couple injuries, you know, when they got up to St. Louis last year. They just weren't uh, – they were a tired team. They weren't. They didn't have all their pieces together, and it, and it showed in St. Louis against Alabama, and then in the NCAA tournament out in San Diego, they didn't play particularly well. So, you know, they got a nine-man rotation right now, and uh, all those guys are full speed, ready to go, and that'll help them for you know if they have to play uh, four games in four days up in Nashville, which is what they're hoping. I wouldn't be surprised, as we mentioned, that Auburn makes it to the semis. And if they do that, 
I think Auburn will probably be a four seed in the NCAA tournament, which is what they, that's what they were last season, weren't they? That's, yeah, yes, tournament. they were. Yes, yeah, they were. you're right. I agree. I think that especially the finish. Um, you know, they they say that you know it's the season as a whole and and the whole thing in Thompson. There's no question that how a team finishes has an impact on seeding. And, and you know, this is a human. It, it, the humans are making selections, and you're you see teams that finish strong and that has a, a lot more impact on it. Cause you look on the other side, you know, that Duke can play themselves out of a one seed, you know, here down the stretch, if they lose a couple more games and um, Auburn can, can continue to rise. I agree. I think a couple of wins in Nashville and Auburn could be right there on the four line. You know, and what really helps uh, them is that net ranking as Mark mentioned earlier, they're 17th and, and they're apparently weighing that pretty heavily. If you, if you just look at it right now, if you're making an insulate tournament bracket just based solely off the net rankings, which they don't do, Auburn's a four seed already right now as it stands. If you just look at that, their strength of schedule, their net rankings, and the potential here to go to the semifinals and win six straight games down the stretch and be, what would that be? Goodness gracious. Uh, 11, 11 and three, 11 and four since they started two and four in the SEC. That's very, very strong against a, an SEC that is – Probably at its, at its much stronger, not much stronger, but stronger than it was last season when it was tough enough. You know what's interesting is this all started after they got embarrassed at Kentucky. Uh, of course, Mark and I, Mark and I have seen a lot of Auburn teams get embarrassed at Kentucky, so we probably weren't very surprised. But uh, uh, but the the way they came back from that, they haven't lost since, and. Uh, and to me, that's a real credit to, to to Bruce Pearl and well, everybody, the players, the coaches, all of them, that, that they were able to put that behind them and go on. Do you guys think that they can hit three pointers at a neutral site and on the and and in the NCAA tournament here in the next couple of weeks? Can they can they do that? I think that's the one thing we now have to see from this team is can they carry this to the road? You know, we've seen it in yeah. stretches. We saw it in stretches against Georgia. Probably the only time they've played that way from start to finish on the road is, was probably at Texas A&M. Um, can they yes. do it 40 minutes away from home? That's the one thing that you have to see now from this team. Yeah, you know, they, they did it. They, they made 16 threes at LSU. Uh, so they have done it. But, uh, you know, really they beat Alabama. They made, what, seven threes against Alabama? Yeah, yeah they uh, went. Uh, they, they're going to have a hard time beating really, really top-level teams. Make it yeah, points. you know, their first game against Alabama, which was at home, they shot 59% beyond the arc, which was a season high. And then they hit, what, like 28% at Alabama. They won both games, but it just shows you how different this team can be. I mean, that's the ultimate, uh, uh, I guess, example of how well, different the team can be on the road and at home. I just think the key for them is, is we mentioned, we talked about, is, is the one thing you always hear in every sport, defense travels. I yep. think they continue to play defense like they're doing. And you look at this team and you go, how do they win when you have such a deficit in, in rebounding? Well, when you create fast break points and points off turnovers, and yep. you're mature, that's where you can make up that ground, and that's what this team can do. And it's incredible how well they've been able to handle the ball over the last two to three games. I mean, they had a season-low five turnovers against Tennessee, as we mentioned earlier. But Al- at Alabama, they may have actually came close to beating that, if not for some late, late turnovers in that game. It's it's incredible how well they've protected the ball at all five positions on the court, even on the road, which is huge going into the NCAA tournament. 
it is. I, I just think that uh, this team has a there's there's something different about this team than last year's team. I, I, it's uh, and part of it is they're healthy, obviously, but I, I just think there seems to be a the emotion of that game Saturday after it was over, and the emotion of guys who had played their last game at Auburn Arena uh, was pretty striking to me too. I mean, yeah. something you're right, Phil. I think something about it too is this team has taken the brunt of pressure. You know, we've seen it in other sports. We just saw it in right. football. How okay, their preseason top ten early on had had the difficult schedule. All of a sudden, you look and hey, where Austin Wiley gets hurt, Samir Dowdy's banged up. It looks like it may fall apart on you, and you fight and get it back. And I think you look and, and you almost can take a deep breath now, going, "All right, let's start this thing over again, and let's let's get back to where we were before." And so I think they've kind of fought through that adversity, and and they okay. come out on the other side, and now they got a chance to uh, to basically play with house money a little bit. Right, I believe they believe they can beat anybody. I do believe that. I believe they. I, I don't think they were one bit surprised that they won that game Saturday, and uh, I don't think they'll be surprised that they beat anybody. Okay, I'll put everybody on the spot. We'll go around the table. Hmm. How far does this team finish in the NCAA tournament? I know it's you know, it's it's two weeks away, but what can they do? What do you think they'll do? Yeah, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say without seeing a bracket, of course. I think Sweet 16 should be a minimum, you know, for, for this team with their depth and all the experience of the guard positions. You know, in my opinion, if you've got really good guard play and you go to the NCAA tournament with enough talent around them, you got a chance to uh, get to the Sweet 16 every time unless you run into somebody who's really just unbelievably hot that game. Yeah, I, I've kind of – thinking sweet 16 as well and and it, it kind of depends too on like you said on you know if if you're a five if, if you're a five and you get a two um down there do you get matched up with a houston somebody like that where the physicality maybe not as much as it would be if you're playing a, a duke or north carolina with a lot more size so i think those things kind of depend on the next level but i think this is a team that's a sweet 16 team and with those veteran guards having gone through that ncaa tournament once I think they got a chance to uh, to win a game there, kind of depending on the matchup. I'm 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 pretty much on the same page as you guys. I, and you had you know it all depends on matchups. And being a five seed is historically dangerous. I think the twelve seed the last few years has a winning record against the five seed. Uh, but uh, but you know they say always say about talk about the importance of guard play in the NCAA tournament, and they certainly have that. And unless they just get a really gosh awful matchup, which uh, uh, I don't know who that would be, I I think they got a, a a better than even chance to get to the Sweet 16 and a really good chance to to go maybe even a step further than that. And hey, once you go there, who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, it's just so hard to predict until you've seen who the potential matchups are. You know. Part of me thinks they've got a little bit more mojo than they had last year going at this time, like you all have said. Uh, part of me wonders, uh, you know, there's still, you know, the neutral site thing. How are they going to play at a neutral site? They didn't handle that well last year. So I don't know. I, I'm with Mark on this one. I, you know, when you have that good backcourt, that can carry you so far. Uh, but I just, it's just impossible to predict. I'll just say anywhere between second round and, and Elite Eight. I think it, uh, 
I, I see some elite eight potential here. I don't think there's any question because, you know, we talked about this last week. When you look at some of the top seeds in this event, they don't look unbeatable. Like, you know, what if Virginia is matched up in Auburn's bracket? Well, Virginia is doggone good, and nobody shoots the three-pointer better probably than they do. But that doesn't strike me as a team Auburn couldn't beat. So it's all about matchups. And uh, so I'll, I'll just guess and say Sweet 16. Yeah, I'm I'm with everybody else. I think this is a Sweet 16 team because, as Mark said, you can't replicate experience in the backcourt, and that's what gets teams deep in the NCAA tournament. And with Bryce Brown and Jared Harper play, playing the way they are right now and knowing that they could probably play better too offensively, uh, that strikes me as a great balance. And now, unlike last season at this point, you've got a – superstar in the making right now and Chumo Kiki on your team who could take over a game at any moment. I mean, Jason, when we were watching the game Saturday, when he had that, that basket underneath, when he switched hands with his, to his left hand, I, that's NBA stuff right there. I mean, they have there, got, there were two of those where he, he switched and kind of got underneath the goal a little bit too far and used his left hand from the right side. And then, the other one where he kind of jumped in the lane and spun in midair and, and, and made that shot. Yeah, those are things that you that you don't teach as instinct, and his instincts are starting to come out. Yeah, and you got a guy like that. Auburn didn't – I mean, obviously he was around, but he was not playing the way he was playing. And as we said, and as Bruce Pearl has said, this, the pl- other players on the court have seemed to have found their roles and when to play them. It's like an instinct thing, and they know, everybody knows when to kind of step up and do certain things. And that's a credit to Bruce Pearl, one, because of his offense being so wide open, and, hey, if you have an open shot, take it. But, two, he's telling guys on the bench, hey, Javon, I need you right now. I mean, these guys are filling in the roles when they need to, and I, I believe this is a team that could definitely make the Sweet 16, depending on the draw. I think giving the number four seed, if they get a number four seed, I'll I'll probably circle them into the Sweet 16 no matter who they're facing just based off the seeding and the teams I've seen and the projections that would be in those areas those first two rounds. Five seed or lower could be a little iffy depending on the matchups, but they're so experienced in the backcourt. This is a Sweet 16 team. As everybody was predicting in the preseason that they should go to the Sweet 16 and then they struggled a little bit, I, I think they're obviously better than they are they're better now than they were at the beginning of the season, and I see no reason why they can't be a Sweet 16 team. Let's let's move on quickly here to uh, recruiting Keith and Jason. Uh, Auburn uh, had a decommitment uh, over the weekend. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Jason, if you don't want me going, uh, you want to go first, you can. Go, go right ahead. Uh, okay. Uh, Demoy Kennedy, you know, an excellent player, really uh, a, a big loss. You know, we don't know what's gonna, how it's going to turn out. Will he end up back with Auburn? There's still a chance, but you know, we say he decommitted over the weekend, but we don't really know. This is a weird one, Jason, because he never publicly put anything out on social media or anything like that. They just asked him after he visited FSU, Hey, you're still committed to, to Auburn, right? And he said no. And then they the reporters asked him again later, Hey, just to clarify, you said you're no longer committed. But we don't think he ever really had that phone call with Auburn. Now, from what we're told, the, the staff had kind of been aware that he wasn't completely stable with his commitment dating back to January. But, you know, this obviously is a guy that uh, uh, is a guy that the, these two teams, uh, excuse me, that, that Auburn really wants to have in the program. And, uh, you know, 
look, he's an outstanding player. They've got to sign up to four linebackers in this class. So they, they're going to try to keep working on him. LSU is the team that's trending right now. But in the meantime, Jason, they're in good shape with three other linebackers uh, in a good spot anyway. One of them being Philip Webb out of Georgia, Desmond Tisdale out of Georgia, and Rodney Gross out of Alabama. And then also they've made a significant move with Jayon McCluster of Largo, Florida, which is down in the Tampa-St. Pete area. He's a cousin of the former Ole Miss great Dexter McCluster. So it's not the end of the world, but DeMoy Kennedy obviously is somebody that Auburn's going to work very hard to get back into uh, into the boat. Yeah, you look at him just physically, a guy that, that was more of a special teams guy as a sophomore. Last year, his junior film was really good and a uh, you know, physical linebacker from Theodore High School, so down just outside of Mobile, but really closer to, to Baton Rouge. And you mentioned LSU. I think you look at him and a guy that has continued to come on. Um, and I think we see it a lot of times and now more than ever with guys committing earlier and earlier, the more interest they get, the more schools that come on all of a sudden, well, I still got a year before I do this. I, I want to take my time and look again. And he could be doing that as well. But you mentioned this is a huge year for linebackers um, for Travis Williams. But the good news is it's a big linebacker class. And we're talking about, you know, the names you mentioned, in addition to a guy like Cam Riley from Hillcrest Evergreen that, that Auburn offered very early. There's a lot of names on the board and, and a lot of guys that have length uh, and can cover some ground. And that's kind of the guys they're looking for now, those six three guys that can grow into 225, 230-pound linebackers. But, yeah, I agree. I don't I, I don't think it in, means the end of Dewey Kennedy, but obviously it means uh, you've got a lot more work to do with him moving forward. You know – it's just one of those things, though. It's it's Auburn's been so good, and, and Mark, Philip, Brandon, and Jason, you guys all track this. They've been so good at not having a lot of decommitments, you know, not having a lot of decommitments the last few years. And by the way, my phone's ringing off the hook here, so I'm losing my concentration. But this is already three decommitments now in this 2020 cycle. Quandarius Robinson, the talented defensive end, being one. Andy Boykin, a four-star defensive tackle from Georgia, being another. So this is three now, and this is kind of, the challenge that Jason and I have talked about that we knew Auburn would have in this cycle, maybe more than any other, because of what transpired regarding Gus Malzahn's status in November and December. And that is absolutely unequivocally being used against Auburn. They're, they're fighting it off from every corner right now, Jason. And, and it's going to be a constant battle. They're creeping, these other schools, are, the thoughts are creeping into these recruits' heads about perceived instability. You know what I mean? And uh, and I think that certainly helped with, or hurt with Quandarius Robinson. I, I I know that hurt in that particular recruitment. So it's going to be a challenge. Auburn is recruiting at a high level, uh, coming off of another season in which they had a top 12 class. That's every season Gus Malzahn has been at Auburn, every recruiting cycle, pardon me. They've had top 12 classes, top 10 all but two of those years. But right now there is a challenge. I don't think there's any question about it because of the negativity that 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 cloud that has been hanging over the program, at least, you know, that was hanging over the program in November and December. Does that make any sense? I'm, I'm my mind's all yeah, over the place and, and Keith, I, I think you're right. That in something that we talk about is, I think now it puts more emphasis on early season for Auburn. When you look at at getting through the spring, absolutely getting to the summer, and then having a chance, especially right out of the gate against Oregon, those are the games that can really settle things and all of a sudden the the people that are using that against you okay then what's your argument if you start winning games and you kind of get on a roll a little bit we saw it a couple of years ago with Auburn those wins over Georgia Alabama really kick-started and cemented things and in 2017 this could be the same kind of thing on from the early stages next year and gonna be really important and puts more emphasis on that early season for for Auburn 
No, I agree with you. Absolutely. No question about it. But the schedule sets up where if you do win some of these marquee games, you could really it could really give you a boost. Now, the kind of, the flip side of that, obviously, is if you lose, then the uncertainty gets even greater. But, you know, Jason, we've talked about this before on the show, and you know this. This staff has dealt with this before. Okay, They're experts at dealing with, uh, with negative recruiting against them because uh, maybe not the last cycle up until the end anyway, but the previous two cycles when it wasn't certain you know, what Gus's future would be, they had to deal with that the entire year, and they still managed to put together one class in the top 10 and one just outside of the top 10. So this is old hat for them. They're, they're used to it. But it is nonetheless a great challenge. Yeah, and, and I think they've done a good job. And, and you know, this last class to stay together, I think Auburn has has done a good job of allowing the players to have a big part in recruiting um, because those guys are the ones that aren't going to change. We saw this year, Bo Nix, Keandre Jones, Owen Popo, especially those three guys, they may have kept things together as well or better than the coaching staff in that kind of crazy time. And when you do that, when you put it in the players – where this year you could put it in the hands of a guy like Avery Jernigan and say, hey, kind of kind of take the reins and go with this, that could be something that could be really big for them in this 2020 class as well. You know, it's spring break, but it, it's going to be a busy week uh, for Auburn Athletics. I mean, uh, one, basketball at the SEC tournament. And baseball and softball open the SEC seasons this weekend, both at home, by the way, as well. Baseball – off to a hot start. They're going to host a Tennessee team that we talked about on the last podcast. They've had a pretty weak schedule, uh, but they've got a good record. Auburn's 14-2 and right now, nationally ranked, as we know, opening against Tennessee uh, on Friday. But they got a, a game against South Alabama at South Alabama on Tuesday, maybe by the time some people listen to this. Um, guys, how do you feel about this Auburn baseball team right now? I mean, the pitching's just been phenomenal. Uh, the hitting, uh, off and on, but it seems like they've got the pieces, obviously, to make a run. But how do they stack up when they start the SEC season right now uh, with their rotation? Yeah, I, I think you look at this team and um, its depth and talent on the pitching staff is, even without a guy like Davis Daniel for, for probably at least a couple more weeks um, in any capacity, this is still a team that has a lot of arms when you start kind of running down the list. And, you know, Tanner Burns has been the guy that's kind of kind of carried it from that one spot. But Jack Owen has really stepped oh, up. my goodness. And, and solidified. I mean, the way he's thrown, you know, and we talked to Butch Thompson, and, and he's been watching Jack Owen pitch since I think he was in the 10th grade in California. I think he always envisioned him as the crafty lefty guy. Well, now – the crafty lefties throwing 90-91. And when you add that to the arsenal of a guy that knows how to pitch, it's made him a different guy. And so you look at those two um, with some talented freshmen like Garrett Wade and Carson Skipper, Brooks Fuller, um, there's more options on the mound for this Auburn team than there's been in a long time. The question is, a lot of them are young. Are they prepared to handle life in the SEC? I think that's the thing for me that I want to see this weekend. I agree. and. Uh... You know, and, and Jason and I, I think agree on this. Is that I want to see him. I want to see him hit uh, hit SEC pitchers. They they have been inconsistent, and uh, they need their guys who have done it before to jump up there and start doing it consistently again. And uh, and they probably will. But I but but uh, you know, it's they've been up and down. That they've been inconsistent when they, they have at, at the plate. They have, and you're right. For this team to be 
where where they want to be, then your guys and and the guys for this team are Will Holland, Stephen Williams, and Elwal Julian. Those guys have to carry a little bit of that load. Now Rankin Woley has stepped up. Connor Davis is kind of doing his thing, and then you know some of these newcomers have, have really played well. The guys like Ryan Bliss and. Uh, even at the bottom with Case and Howell and Matt Scheffler are doing something. But to be where you want to be, you got to have those those leaders step up and, and, and swing the bat like that. So for this Auburn team, that's going to be something to watch. And, boy, you know, people talk about schedules. And, you know, you, if people look at the, the football schedule next year and go, man, that's tough. Well, take a gander at the baseball schedule. <laughs> it does not get any more difficult than, than, than Auburn's schedule this year in baseball. So – for this team, it's going to be about keeping your head above water and and trying to get back to full strength with Davis Daniel. If you can do that, well, then they can set themselves up to make another run in the postseason. I agree. I agree absolutely. I mean this this team. I I, I just I think people sometimes tend to look at everything through the prism of football and uh, where every game is is uh, is seems like the end of the world. Well, this baseball team uh, is going to lose games. <laughs> There's no question about it. And uh, the key, as Jason said, is getting to the end in a good position and uh, going postseason. I mean, they have been on the cusp, on the cusp of going to Omaha two straight years, and 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 that 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 works on them a little bit. And the, particularly the head coach, he he, re- he really wants to get there. And uh, I think this team, if, if everything comes together, certainly will have a chance. Yeah, it's kind of like kind of like basketball this year, where people ask me before the season and early in the year, kind of what, what do you think about them? I said I don't think the record will be as good, but I think they're more set up to make a run in the postseason. It could be very similar in baseball right. because of that schedule. We saw last year they're fifteen and fifteen, but one one out away from making it to the College World Series. It could be something similar like that again, but I think they've got the pieces in place. Um, to get to the postseason, and then once they do that, then you got a great shot to make a run. Because I would say in college baseball and softball, with it broken up the way it is, um, much greater opportunities with a couple of good good starting pitchers to, to oh, make yeah. a run in the postseason. Uh, yeah, all, all was pitching, assuming everybody's healthy, and they will be a nightmare in a regional or a super regional, and uh, and especially when you then put Davis Daniel back in the mix. They, they, there's not many people who can equal that, I don't believe. I, I I just hope they get a regional at home this year because that could be a great, 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 great time. And then and that's the program builder as well. Yep, yep. exactly. So, Phil, when you say it's not like football, you mean to tell me if they lose at South Alabama Tuesday, we shouldn't fire everybody? <laughs> well, uh I don't know. That's South Alabama, you know. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 on Jag Nation TV. <laughs> if that was Auburn's record, against, record against South Alabama is ridiculously <laughs> bad. Yeah, I mean, it was, really is. If that was done in the past, there would have been a whole lot of different baseball coaches at all. <laughs> <laughs> All right, softball guys, softball twenty-two and four. They just went six and zero oh this past weekend in another uh, invitational. Uh, on the plains this weekend, they host Texas uh, A and M. Uh, they play Georgia State. They go to Georgia State actually in Atlanta uh, on Wednesday for a little warm up before they get into SEC play. Tell me a little bit about this softball team. I mean, we 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 saw some struggles early in the season, but then they went out west and played well. And ever since then, they've kind of been on a little bit of a roll. 
Well, they also are inconsistent at the plate and, uh, and, and need to be, they're better than they were last year for sure. Michaela Martin's as good as, as good as any pitcher out there. The, the question, biggest question in my mind, and Mark's seen him a lot too. So yeah, is, is, I mean, they have three, three Ashley, Ashley Swindle, Chardonnay Harris, and, uh, Lexi Hanley, uh, are the other three pitchers. And sometimes they are really, really good. And sometimes they aren't really, really good. And I think that's the big question in my mind is two things. One, can they, can they continue to get timely hits against SEC pitching? And two, two, who's going to step up there to be the, to be next in line with, with McKenna, because she obviously can't pitch every game. Those you can come close in softball, but somebody's going to have to pitch once a weekend, at least besides her. You know, Michaela is so mentally tough, Philip. Uh, that's why I think she's so good in addition to having good stuff. And she's gotten bigger and stronger. She's throwing 70 miles per hour now. And there aren't a whole lot of college pitchers doing that. And you combine that with her drop ball. Um, yeah, she's really tough. And, uh, you know, Lexi Hanley's an interesting pitcher. <laughs> 71, 72. And she's kind of pitcher you probably don't want to dig in up there. <laughs> she is effectively wild. And uh, I think Sunday she had 11 strikeouts and four walks and uh, hit a batter. And, uh, you know, if she can consistently throw strikes in the SEC, she should be a nice number two starter. And you're right about the other two pitchers. Uh, they've been off and on and they both have really good talent. Uh, they both have nice breaking balls and, but to me, I think the pitching is going to be okay for SECs. The big question is, will they consistently get the big hit with runners on base, something they didn't do last year, particularly on the road. This year, they've, they've been more consistent hitting one through nine in the lineup, and they've certainly hit the ball with a lot more power. Now, the pitching is going to get tougher when they get to the SEC, and the big question to theirs, will they hit with power against SEC pitching? Did you guys yeah, I, see? Uh, did you guys see where Michaela Martin challenged the uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> TV reporter? Yeah, that's yeah. TV reporter in the Northeast saying, "Oh, you know, you, know, you, you can hit that or whatever." And she's like, "Come on down, let me pitch to you. We we got to yeah. get that guy down here. I want to see him uh, be made." Well, I will a fool. tell you this. I will tell you this. He will not hit it. <laughs> Goodness gracious! Problems. He won't hit it. I tried doing that. I tried doing that when I covered high school softball, you know, 10, 12 years ago and 60 pounds ago. I, I, I never came close. How do you think you're going to hit a college softball pitcher with that movement? And 49 feet away. I mean, yeah. you say, I'll oh, set miles now. We're setting miles now. We'll get there pretty quick from 49 feet away. It's, I think, I think it's, uh, it would be, it would be hilarious for somebody like that. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know why you start saying stuff like that. I mean, I mean, it's uh, when you're it's dumb. Could could uh could a woman softball player go out and hit a ninety mile per hour fastball? No, but she would have as good a chance of hitting that ninety mile per hour fastball as a baseball player would come in there and have a chance to hit hit a hit a hit a woman pitching a softball, a, a good pitch. If anybody on the team could hit a 90-mile-per-hour-plus fastball, it would be Casey McCracken because she was yeah. a, a very good high school baseball player, and she didn't switch to softball until late in high school down uh, in Contam Contonement, Florida. 
and so she could get a, a softball scholarship. Yeah, so. yeah. I did a story on her last year and talked to her daddy. That's a, it's a neat story, and she has got unbelievable bat speed. I mean, she really does. It's because uh, she's not she's not big at all, and uh, and she can hit it a long way. Guys, pro. Sorry about that. Um, pro, pro day was last week for football. Um, not a lot of people doing, you know, agility drills. A lot of those guys, six of those guys, obviously, were the NFL Combine just a few days before that. And so they stuck with most of their numbers. Others came in. Chandler Cox performed very well. He was a leading 40-yard dash runner, uh, had a good vert. Uh, I'm trying to act like I'm an expert. A good vertical jump, a good vert. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I think from talking to the all, all the guys – it's just one. Obviously, they want to make an impression at pro day to try and get their way in. But when you talk to guys like Deshaun Davis, I mean Deshaun Davis, is just the guys who tell you how it is. But man, I love talking to him every time. But listening to him just say, "Listen, I've done everything I can. You're going to keep talking about my height. That's great. Someone's going to pick me up. So either pick me or don't pick me. Either way, I'm either going to play for you. I'm going to play against you and prove you wrong." Uh, it's a great approach for him because he just doesn't care where he gets picked up. And I think a lot of these kids for Auburn that were at the pro day are kind of had the same attitude. They're just wanting a chance. Like Chandler Cox said, I'm ready to go play special teams. Let's go do that. And that's how you, that's how you get more playing yeah. time in the NFL. We've seen it with guys that have gone to the new England Patriots for Auburn and have two Super Bowl rings now. Um, but what were your guys' impressions uh, from pro day, uh, from from Auburn's uh, eleven guys that were there. For me, Brandon, I think you're right. I think Auburn's background of playing starters on special teams is something that helps those guys when they have a chance. A guy like Darius Slayton has covered kicks, and he's done a lot of different things in his career too. Um, I thought, you know, myself and me and Mark were talking about this earlier that that the the thing that stood out to me was Jared Sidham. Um, I thought his pro day performance. Um, when I think back to Cam Newton in 2010, um, I thought Jarrett's was probably a little bit better. Uh, now Cam's was outside and, and the elements in the stadium and, and a little bit different. And obviously, uh, a couple of hundred more people there watching <laughs> he did his, but I thought Jarrett was extremely good. And I thought Ron Davis and, and Darius Slayton both had really good days. And so that was the thing that stood out to me. And then on the flip side, I, I was just surprised at, at Darrell Williams, um, having watched Darrell Williams since he was a 10th yeah. grade high school and knowing him, if you had told me that, that he would run in the four, eight, four, nine range, I said, no way. Um, and unfortunately you see guys this time of year take advice and go, well, you need to do this. Yeah. You need to do this. Uh, him trimming down so much, I think cost him his explosiveness on. And, uh, I do, I do too. That was so surprised. I, we were talking, it's like, is he trying to be a safety Cause he look he looks so he looks so small. I was I was flabbergasted. Yeah, I talked to an NFL scout, and he said uh, he didn't have explosiveness in his lower legs because he lost too much weight too quickly, and uh, you know he lost a lot of weight. And uh, you know he's a physical thumper player this past season for Auburn. But yeah, you're right. He did look like a safety out there at pro day, and he you know actually admitted that he lost so much weight. He had to get on a weight gain program going into uh, pro day to try to get some of that back. You know, he, a guy like him has just got to hope. You're, Mark, you were talking about 
what the scout said, that people will look at his film and say, hey, we need to get it. This guy can play. We just need to get him in here and put some more weight back on him, and 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 he he can do what we need doing. Yeah, but man, man, that's a you want to be at your best. Yeah, and you only get one shot for a guy like him. Um, yeah, and that's yep. the unfortunate part of pro day for guys who aren't at the combine is that you got to hope that your film and your recommendation, your coaches, all those things is enough to get you a workout somewhere where you can show them, hey. I'm back to 228 now, and I'm feeling good again. I'm looking good again, and you know that's the day for him. And on the flip side, for a guy like Jamel Dean, you know, what more do you need to do than what he did, exactly. which is run four three? I think Saturday. I think pro day for him though was was important because I still don't know if he's a guy that plays corner or if he becomes a downhill safety. Yeah, and the NFL teams want to see that. I still think I envision him. As a guy that we think about all these defenses, the Legion of Booms had in for for Seattle, a guy that weighs 225 pounds and is a downhill safety. I can imagine Jamel Dean being that guy here in a couple of years. He talked about Jarrett Stidham. I mean, uh, was incredible uh, in in his drills as far as just throwing and throwing all the routes. I think, I think what was it? It's like 48 of 50 or 58 of 60. Um, Les Snead, the Auburn alum, and of course, a general manager of the. Super Bowl runner-ups, uh, the Los Angeles Rams said that he thought he had an A-plus day when I talked to him. Um, and, of course, Jordan Palmer, who's been training Jared Stidham since he was in high school, said he doesn't believe he's seen a better pro day from a quarterback uh, in person. Um, I think he helped himself a little bit, but there's so much focus on, like, the top four guys in the draft. I think Stidham's pro- probably still pretty much locked in as maybe, like, a third-round guy. Maybe he can get in the second round. All it takes is one team – that needs a backup quarterback they want to groom to just kind of go, let's go get Jared Stidham, and he goes in the second round. But the guy to me that I think has improved his draft stock the most out of, out of you know, between Jamel Dean, who I think is probably going to be a, maybe a second-round guy, is Darius Slayton. Uh, I think that he proved to teams that he's more than just a go-route guy. He can move. He's got good hips. And I could I could see him getting picked up much earlier than a lot of people see at the receiver spot. Yeah, Brandon, the thing about him, too, is people kind of have this impression that he's a small receiver and he's not this, you know, he, he doesn't look like DK Metcalf. No, but he's not small, but he's not small either. He has big hands. You know, he's a guy that will probably weigh 205 by the time he gets in an NFL training camp and and does all those things. And you're right, though, about him is he didn't really have a chance in Auburn's offense to kind of show it's kind of him and Ron Davis are kind of the opposite guys. Ron Davis mm-hmm. never had a chance to show stretching the field and being able to do that because of his role. Well, Darius Slayton until last season, we didn't ever really see him run the bubble and tunnels and show his ability to, to be an open field runner. You know, we saw that in the bowl game as part of that big day. Um, I really think he's a guy that as probably, you know, probably third, fourth round guy is going to be a, a steal right. for somebody because of his top end speed. And then, you know, I ask him, do you think your best football is ahead of him? And he goes, absolutely. And so I think that's something to watch for. I was just going to say a quick aside. You mentioned DK Metcalf. He, he looks great and he has great straight line speed, but he's like a horse. He's not going to be able to, you know, make cuts and everything. His agility drills at the combine were uh, among the worst and people were comparing it to Tom Brady's numbers all those years ago uh, in the agility drills. He's great down, you know, running, running one way, but 
trying to cut, make a cut or whatever. He's 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 not the type of player you quite want in the well, NFL. Yeah. Um, but uh, you mentioned Darius Slayton. I think he's the type of guy that can be an NFL guy that three or four years from now is a starter. Brandon, you mentioned Metcalf running like a horse. Have you ever tried to cover a horse? <laughs> um, no, I don't want to die. I, I'm deathly afraid of horses. I've always been afraid of horses. That's why I stay away from the equestrian team. You just let me know when they win a national title, and I'll go to the celebration ceremony. But I, I, no horses, please. I don't want. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want a horse named Waffle eating me. I'm gonna go on record as predicting that happens that they win the national championship. Oh goodness gracious! Regular season undefeated, first time in uh, NCEA history. That's uh, pretty incredible. Um, they've done a great job. Um, Moving forward here real quick, we'll close the podcast with this. Uh, spring practices start finally uh, next Monday, March 18th. It's going to be pretty much a condensed schedule, as, as everybody knows. Four practices each week on Saturdays, as they usually do. They'll have their kind of their scrimmages. Uh, what are you guys looking for on the, that first week of spring practice going in? I think everybody wants to talk about the quarterbacks. They're all going to have equal opportunities. It's going to be interesting to see how they handle them. And really, I wonder if they're going to tackle them. Uh, in these these scrimmages coming up? I think they are going to tackle them, but the question to me is how much are they going to tackle them? Is it going to be one or two series and one scrimmage, or is it going to be uh, two scrimmages? Uh, I think that's the big X factor to me, and I tried to get an answer out of the coaches, and I don't think they've made their minds up yet on that. It's, uh, you know, the, all eyes are going to be on the quarterbacks. There's no question about that. Uh and really, there you know, there's uh, on offense. That's where I mean, there's going to be some new running backs, but you've also got old running backs, and you got the whole offensive line back, and uh, and most of the receivers back. So that's where the, most of the questions are going to be, and uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to see. I, you know, it's uh, everybody expects it to be Bo Nix. I had to bet; I would probably bet on Bo Nix, but I know the head coach really, really, uh, really likes uh what he's seen from Joey Gatewood. And I'm told that Malik Willis has been like a different guy and that even Cord Sandberg has changed his body. And, uh, so, uh, you know, the, the, the challenge is, is you can't, you can't be working with four. You can't have four in the race for real, for a real long time. That, no. that just doesn't work. They're going to have to narrow it down. Yeah. I mean, obviously the quarterbacks is, is, the the most important um you got to have that guy to win and and to to be a successful team i'll uh, i'll look at a little bit different one though i i'll, I'll look at linebackers when you you talk about losing to sean davis darrell williams and montavious atkinson I, I think we all believe that kj Britt's a guy that is ready to step in there um chandler wooten has some experience as well after that there's really none and and this is going to be a big spring when you look at the next guys at that linebacker spot and getting those reps and Zacoby McLean um, stepping in there and then Owen Popo coming in, um, you know, Josh Marsh back there as well. How those next guys develop and step up is going to be vitally important for this team because you got to have, you know, five, six linebackers in yes. this league and that's about all they got. And so all these guys have to be ready to play. So, you know, you, not only do you have to get KJ Britt, Chandler Wooten or whoever, ready to be starters, but you got to get those next guys ready to be on the field and ready to play by the time you get to, uh, to Oregon in, 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 uh, in the season opener. Until he shows me differently, I trust Travis Williams. 
uh, uh, to get that done. And I mean, he's he's been remarkable for them at linebacker as a linebackers coach. I'm going to say uh, offensive and defensive uh, lines. Offensive lines get all the starters back, but are they all going to be starters in 2019? We don't. That's what we don't know. Could somebody new emerge? Could a Tushan and Manning? Could a Bradarius Ham? Uh, can Caleb Kim hold on to the starting job? So there's a lot to be determined there, even though all those guys are back. And then also on the defensive line, you've got a lot of guys back. Uh, who emerges as the replacement for Dontavious Russell? Is it going to be a new Kirk? Is it going to be a Connus Miller who we're hearing good things about? But really, you know, Jason and I have talked about this extensively. Nick Coe playing the buck, 13 tackles for loss last year, I think seven and a half sacks, something in, in that neighborhood. But he's not really a true buck. So will they toy with moving him to strong side or moving somebody else inside to get a true buck out there, Richard Jubinor, a TD Moultrie? Because quite frankly, as good as Nick Coe was, he's still better on first and second down than he is on third and long. And, you know, quite frankly, Auburn's defense was not great getting off the field on third and long last year. And they need, in my estimation, a guy that's a true buck uh, or two or three that can really get after the quarterback. And so to me, those are going to be two areas to watch. Yeah, I think you look at this this group and having the ability on third down now to go – Marlon Davidson, Nick Coe, Derek Brown, and and maybe a Jubinor or a Big Cat, and and those those rabbits package. Um, they got a lot of options outside with with some of those guys. So that'll be something that'll be fun to watch this spring. Jam packed week ahead, and then next week spring practices start, and just in time too. As inside the Auburn Tigers and Auburn Undercover have combined under one umbrella, we're going to be all over the place. Mark and I will be at the SEC tournament. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun guys. And if you're listening to this, as you start your Tuesday morning or something, make sure you go to the website. We've got a lot of VIP Intel from everybody on the staff, uh, that you'll want to read. It's going to, it's going to be like that every day. It's going to be jam packed. I am looking forward to seeing just how much stuff we could put out there. I, I think, I don't know if people are going to be able to keep up guys. Well, that's the goal. Uh, make them have to keep coming back and, uh, and seeing what else is up there each there day. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. That'll do it for this podcast. We'll see you down the road. No one has it covered like 24-7 sports. Go Undercover with Auburn Undercover. Undercover.